Hey, Deserving Listeners, as many of you know, because I talk about it often, is the importance of sleep and for all of us to get a good night's sleep and how we have a culture that often goes against notions of having good sleep and how work is creeping in on our good sleep and how stress can cause problems. And one of the issues that a lot of parents will face is trying to help their children to sleep throughout the night. And there's a lot of research pointing to the importance of children getting a good night's sleep of varying ages. And while I'm on this topic, like the whole having high school kids like go to school at seven in the morning and the research against all that nonsense and how the pandemic actually pushed things forward a little bit because they had that flexibility. And now that the pandemic is kind of ending, they're pushing it back. But anyway, someone reached out to me uh, to talk about sleep and children. And I thought I'd have her on the show to talk about that topic. Please introduce yourself to Podcast Land. Hi, I'm Dana Obelman. I'm the creator of the Sleep Sense program, which is a do-it-yourself guide for tired parents to help them get their children sleep on track. And I've been in the wonderful world of sleep uh, for the past 18 years. So it's definitely a passion of mine. And um, I work hard to make sure that people know as much as they can about sleep and that they're getting as much as they can. The pandemic has, um, in some ways, made sleep harder for people in general, I think, because uh, our body clocks work better when we're on um, a schedule. And when we're going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning, that's optimal. That's how we're designed to, to work. And with people's schedule kind of flying out the window, um, people are staying up way later. Kids are staying up way later. Um, and, and that inconsistency of the schedule just kind of wreaks havoc on our circadian rhythm. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older, how fragile my sleep has become. When I was younger, I would just fall asleep any old time and sleep eight, nine hours, wake up, like didn't, wouldn't wake up throughout the night. And now I wake up and it's hard for me to fall back asleep sometimes. And unless I follow a very strict sleep hygiene routine, things can get out of, out of whack. And then of course, the next day I'm not doing so well. Um, but you're, uh, you also specialize in helping parents, helping their children sleep throughout the night. Tell us about that. Yes. What needs to happen in order for a child to become a good sleeper is what I call independent sleep skills. So that's the ability to have confidence in falling asleep on your own. And if you have a wake up in the night that you can manage that wake up and get yourself back to sleep again. And so, helping parents find ways to teach their child that independent sleep skill is where the magic happens. That's when a baby starts to uh, get themselves to sleep uh, at the beginning of the night and then get themselves at least the majority of the way through the night, maybe not completely, but that parents start to see that consolidation of nighttime sleep show up, obviously when a baby is biologically ready for it. And for some kids, they take to it pretty easily. Some kids not, though. And parents will blame themselves. They'll say, like, you know, what am I doing wrong? What, what do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, some babies, you're right, naturally become better sleepers with time and everything just falls into place. But if it hasn't shown up for parents, again, around that three to six month age range, then it's time to start having a look at a few things. And the first place I always tell people to look is, how does this baby fall asleep 
the majority of the time? And if the answer is, well, I rock her to sleep all the time, or I feed her to sleep all of the time, then that's the place where we need to start doing some work. And that's by distancing that connection to your help and sleep. So distancing um, the connection between feeding and sleep or rocking and sleep so that a baby can start putting some of the pieces together on their own of if I'm awake, how do I get myself to sleep without all of that assistance? But, you know, for the kids, they're young, they don't really, it's hard to uh, convince them (laughs) or to train them what sort of techniques have you found work? I'm guessing it's case by case basis, but what, what are some general things that, uh, you know, if, if there are parents out there listening that might be having some trouble, what would help them? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing we look at is, is the timing of things, you know, given the baby's age, uh, babies kind of fall into a realm, not every baby's exact, but into a realm of, of time that they can handle being awake for. So if we were talking about a six month old, a six-month-old has roughly about two and a half to three hours of stamina. So every three hours, roughly, they should be going back to sleep, whether it's for a nap or for the night. And just knowing kind of these, these sweet spots as far as awake windows go is helpful because what our goal is is to get a baby to go down when they're fatigued but not overtired. Um, because overtiredness is going to make matters much more difficult. So getting the timing right and then getting some schedules in place or some routines in place, especially around bedtime, creating a about a 30-minute bedtime routine is important for all of us, actually, uh, but for babies in particular, because they love um, they love that predictability of what's coming next. So it could start with a bath. Maybe you do um, a, a feed of some kind, some stories together into jammies and then into the crib. And, and the goal is that they go into the crib ready for sleep, but not asleep yet. That the process of the falling asleep happens in the crib um, without a lot of assistance from the parent. Why is that? important? I could imagine why that's important, but why is that important? Well, that's important so that, again, once they get into the crib, they can start putting the pieces together of how sleep comes more easily. So when you think about falling asleep at night, everybody has strategies or processes, right? You get into the same side of the bed every night. You've got your favorite pillow. You've got your water and your earplugs or whatever your little, little needs are beside you. And then even the positions we get into tend to be really habitual. So you might start out relaxing on your back and then turn into your favorite sleep position when sleep is upon you. And so what we want kids to figure out is those processes as well. When I'm in the crib and I'm awake, what do I need to do with myself in order to get comfortable, to start relaxing, to let sleep come? Because it's a five, it's a five to 20 minute process. So what do you do in that time frame between laying down and being ready for sleep and for, for sleep to actually come? It, it is a, it is a skill set. It is, um, is a strategy that you need to learn. You said earlier that you want the infant to fall asleep, but, uh, but not be exhausted. Can you talk more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overtiredness again, we all feel it. So if you, if you've been running yourself ragged for several days and, and you feel really sleep deprived when you actually get a chance to lay down and let sleep come, you'll probably notice that it's a lot harder 
right? You feel almost wired, you know, you feel like you just drank a pot of coffee and now you're trying to go to sleep. And so it's harder to, to relax, bring your sort of cortisol levels down and that, that stress uh, hormone that's kind of been carrying you through. And then the sleep that we end up having after we do fall asleep tends to be more fragmented. So there is more, you know, little wake ups through the night. And some people even wake up earlier than normal when they're overtired. And we see this in children specifically, that they end up waking at five o'clock in the morning instead of their normal uh, seven or, or so uh, wake up time. And, and so that that happens to all of us, but in children, it's, uh, it's amplified, you know, they, they were, their body was trying to tell them they were ready for sleep, but they didn't get the opportunity. So everything kind of kicks into over overdrive and they get a little on the hyperactive side, they get a little bit manic in their, in their temperament. Um, and then, you know, you've missed, you've missed the window and you've pushing into that overtiredness. It's interesting how it also applies to adults. It's it's not that different, right? It's just that right. you're saying for the infant, they get a little cranky. You can kind of see that they might, you know, those signals that you see from your child that they're on their way to to nap time. And if you're at home, maybe they would just pass out where they where they're at. But if you're out and about, and they, you know, it's harder for them to sleep in that circumstance, or they're at a play date or something, and it's harder for them to just conk out it's important for a parent to recognize those signals and to have the flexibility to take a nap at that point. So they don't exhaust themselves, which can push into the next uh, set of sleep moments that can um, disrupt those, those, those sleep periods. Absolutely. And some people think, well, if this baby's not sleeping well at night, Let's deprive them of their daytime sleep and hope that, you know, that will build sleep pressure so high that they'll sleep better and through the night. And that will always backfire. That is not good advice. You, you want to keep your baby on a, on a schedule where they're getting adequate rest throughout the day so that by the time bedtime rolls around, they're not overly fatigued. They're not, they're, they're ready, but they're not, um, you know, pushed to the brink. Do you know much about the sleeping with your child in, in the bed? Uh, can you tell us about some misconceptions around that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it can be sort of a parenting choice or a, a, a sort of a ideology that a lot of people um, buy into where, where it can work just fine, right? If you've investigated all the ways in which you can make this safe, um, that, you know, you're everyone in the family is enjoying the experience <laughs> and getting adequate sleep, then, I, then, you know, go for it, uh, live your life. Um, but for a lot of parents that I work with, they're bed sharing out of necessity. It was the only way in which mom in particular was getting, you know, an hour or two asleep in a night. And in those cases, I always suggest like, let's, Let's course correct now because it's not something you were desperately wanting to do. It's just a, a bit of a habit that everyone's falling into here. And, you know, I think ultimately everybody sleeps better in their own space. I mean, if we were to kind of redo um, sleeping arrangements based on like what's best for the individual, we wouldn't be bed sharing with anybody. <laughs> we, we would be sleeping on our own. 
So it's not it's not the best uh, situation for everybody to be getting the the kind of rest that they need. And you know, in my opinion, I think it can lead to relationship issues if your kids are in your bed. Often, one parent is not loving that experience after a certain amount of time, so it can lead to some strain. And in some cases, it's really unsafe. You know, there's been um, multiple uh, tragedies that have occurred from babies in beds with parents. Yeah. The part of it that I will just add to it from my psychological and developmental perspective is that there's this pressure in some cultures, mainstream American culture included, that to put kids in cribs really early as, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about trying to force kids into this adult-like sleep schedule and adult-like sleep practice, which is sleeping in your own room. And you're not saying sleep in your own room. You're just saying maybe in a, you know, a sleep space next to the bed or something. Right. But this uh, old school practice and things are changing, but I think rather slowly the attitudes and we have these infants who are maybe just a few months old uh, being, I think, mildly traumatized by parents who think they're doing the right thing by letting them cry it out in a crib in another room and feel like they're being abandoned at at a young Mm -hmm. age. I I just feel like all that needs to be balanced out with the importance of being able to sleep without disruption uh, for everyone's sake. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, the American Academy of Pediatricians suggests that children, babies be in parents' bedrooms, you know, from six to 12 months of age. Um, so I'm, I'm all over, let's have the baby in, in the room with the parents, but I'm not particularly in love with them sleeping in the actual bed with you. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think there comes a time and we usually see it around, you know, that six month and up age range where the, the fatigue of being up multiple times a night for everybody in the family is worth, um, taking pause and having a, a look at, is there ways in which we can make the situation better for everybody? Um, and, and weighing the sort of pros and cons with everybody's sleep deprived, miserable and suffering. And there are ways in which we can make that better. What about for seven-year-olds or, you know, 10-year-olds who are having trouble with sleep? What do you mm-hmm. do with those folks? You know, it's interesting. Like I said, I've been in this business for 18 years and I've seen a trend, I would say in the last five or six, where more and more parents are coming forward with scenarios of older children, the five, six, 10, even 12 uh, year age range who are having some sleep issues. And I think it has a lot to do with the um, sort of mainstream or pulp culture getting a, a little uh, more invested in sleep. You know, there's been celebrities coming forward talking about sleep and books being written about it. So I think more and more people are realizing, first of all, sleep, not sleeping well is, is harming everyone. And, and being okay with the fact that, you know, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you as a parent. It just means somewhere along the way, this child didn't really get comfortable um, with what sleep is all about and, and how to have good sleep hygiene. So we work with, we work with parents with this uh, children of this age range often now. Um, And typically the issue is that 
a parent um, is, is what we call the prop. So the parent is, is a sleep prop in the sense that the child thinks the parent needs to be there in order for sleep to come. And then when they have a wake up in the night and no parent is there, now they're upset and they want a parent to come back and spend the rest of the night with them. So our process is teaching that child the confidence and the skill that he or she needs to fall asleep independently and sleep all the way through the night and not need any intervention from a parent. Is that baby steps? Uh, just taking yeah. little steps along the way, helping, you know, okay, we'll, we'll do a half an hour, we'll do 15 minutes, we'll do five minutes and slowly just wean them off of that? It's, yeah, our approach is, is a slow wean off of that dependency. We would, we would start by having a parent in the chair instead of in the bed, just beside the, cri- or the, beside the bed with the child. And then we kind of slowly work that parent out of the bedroom over the course of about 10 nights to allow the child the, the comfort of having a parent close by, but still encouraging them to, to begin that separation, to, to learn to find ways uh, to make sleep come easily without a parent present. When I used to treat young children in my early career, I found the prevalence of anxiety really high. There's a lot of reasons for that, bio- biology, stress, trauma, family problems. And I found that anxiety in children was largely ignored. Uh, it would be labeled as ADHD or oppositional defiant or something along, or just just ignored completely. And I would find that sleep would be one of the things that would suffer when a kid is chronically anxious. Uh, do you run into that sort of thing? That's another unfortunate trend that I've seen um, probably again in the last five or five years or so is, is a rise of childhood anxiety. Um, and I think that's because children have a lot of access now to to news, bad news, you know, especially with COVID parents talking about the stress. I mean, they're under, they're under enormous stress just from the, the trickle off, the runoff of all the things that their parents are bombarded with. So yeah, absolutely. Anxiety is running high. Um, and so marrying that with, yes, let's acknowledge the anxiety, but also the importance of getting good quality sleep every night and not just good quality sleep, but the, the length of, of quality sleep that children need uh, is also really important um, and helping them, you know, how do you manage that stress before you get, get yourself to sleep every night? So giving them some tools for um, managing it, like some light meditation or writing your worries in a journal or doing something that, that again, we would help adults do the same thing. We need to empower children with those kind of tools and skills so that they can start managing some of that anxiety before sleep. Yeah, I find that to be with adults, a frequent barrier to sleeping, falling asleep and and sleeping well is the racing mind before uh, as they try to fall asleep. It's, I think, natural that when all the distractions are gone, your brain just wants to focus on things that you're worrying about. And there's a lot of different techniques that I've done with clients before. Uh, One of which I find to be fairly useful for a lot of people is to keep a notepad or something nearby their bed. And when something comes up that they're like, Oh, I have to remember to do that. Like write it down on the pad, you know, and say, okay, I'm not going to think about that anymore because there's some, uh, usefulness to saying, I have to remember to do that thing tomorrow. I have to, because if I forget this terrible thing will happen. 
And when we're awake, we will just really focus on it. Okay, we got to remember that, got to remember that. But if you're doing that, your brain thinks we are not in the process of falling asleep right now. We're in the process of getting something done. We're in the process of, of a task. We can't fall asleep in the middle of a task and it, it'll prevent people from falling asleep. And, and I'm guessing that a lot of kids might suffer from that too, sort of ruminating on things that they're worrying about before they fall asleep and interfere with them falling asleep. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's uh, a key. And then you layer that with this idea that I don't know how to fall asleep without my mom or my dad or my parent you know, that, that in and of itself is anxiety causing, right? If, if I can't sleep unless you're right next to me, then I'm going to be worrying all night long that I might wake up and you're not there. Um, so that is another layer of the anxiety that we see with the kids. So it's about teaching them or empowering them really with the confidence that they can do this, that they're totally capable of falling asleep peacefully every night and managing any little wake-ups they have in the night and just giving them that sense of ownership over their own sleep. Yeah, that's an idea that I give a lot of adults as well, is that, and it's not always necessarily true or works, but this there's people who suffer from a lot of sleep problems and they have this self-identity that they don't sleep very well. And that interferes with their confidence level of falling asleep. You need to believe on some level that you're going to fall asleep in order to fall asleep. Uh, especially if you're worried, like, am I going to fall asleep? I, I'm, is it going to happen again? That will, that anxiety will cause people to have problems falling asleep. And so helping people to understand that your body wants to fall asleep, it's desperately wanting to do it. And if you just get out of it, out of the way on a certain level, if you get rid of the barriers, it will happen. You don't have to push yourself into sleep. You just have to remove the barriers and the ball will just roll down the hill and, and you'll fall asleep. I mean, for some people, it's not that easy, but I, I find that that notion is important to uh, you know engender in people so that they don't feel like they have to somehow labor themselves into sleep. They, it's really the opposite. Absolutely. I see it in kids and I tell people, Adults that all the time, just be careful of the story you're telling yourself, Yeah. right? If you tell yourself, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm going to have a terrible sleep. I'm an awful sleeper. Well, then chances are that's exactly what's going to show up. So a lot of kids these days, increasingly so, according to research, are taking psychotropics, medications, psychological medications, such as ADHD, which are stimulants, which will interfere with sleep. Do you run into that sort of thing? Well... You know, interestingly, like I mentioned, sometimes just improving the quality and the length of nighttime sleep. I think we underestimate how much sleep children actually need all the way to adolescence. You know, they, they need at least 10 hours and loads of kids are not getting that much. And like you said, and then we get into the teen years and it's even worse. So sometimes just increasing um, the duration of nighttime sleep by even one hour um, is you can see a dramatic reduction in the, in the symptoms uh, of ADHD and, and sometimes can completely, you know, change the diagnosis just by getting kids enough sleep. So that that's always the first step. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as medications go, that's, that does become a, a really tricky spot because if they're going to interfere with the ability to fall asleep, then 
it's kind of just perpetuating. They're not sleeping well, therefore their symptoms are worse. And it just is a vicious cycle. Yeah. I've been advocating for that for years. The, whenever I, whenever there's a kid that's acting a little unruly in school, the, the very first assumption by school and by maybe a lot of clinicians is ADHD and they put them on meds. And I always say, uh, your first assumption should be other things, honestly. And then if all those other things don't pan out, then you say, well, it looks like ADHD. And one of the first things that you should consider is, is lack of sleep and difficulty sleeping. Cause anyone who, and research has shown this countless times in a, uh, which will, with a large effect size of lack of sleep will cause us to be you know, harder, it'll, it's harder for us to concentrate. It's harder for us to pay attention, harder for us to regulate our emotions, harder for us to manage impulses. And that those are all the classic signs of, of ADHD. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm a night owl and uh, there's, you know, a lot of research showing different people have biological circadian rhythm differences and night owls. I consider myself to be an oppressed class on a certain level because we're, 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 we're considered lazy or, or something. And my best work is done late at night. Um, I actually don't even really start working, working like we're over zoom right now. This is an audio episode, but you know, my hair is all messed up right now because I haven't even showered yet because I don't really get working until like four o'clock in the afternoon. That that's my thing. And when I was in high school and everyone in my family is a night owl, my parents stay up till two in the morning, all my siblings. Um, and when I was in high school, I had school was at seven 30 and I, I had to get up at, uh, well, what I did because I was such a, a horrible morning person that I would wake up at seven Oh five. I would take a 30 second shower. I would run out the door, get in my car and drive all the way across town to go, to go to high school. And I would, I would be running into class like, you know, one second before the bell rang at seven 30 and I would instantly fall asleep for the first three classes. Um, I was, uh, I was, I think I was like runner up or, or second runner up to most likely to sleep in class. I would sleep all the way through lunch sometimes where then that was the good part of the day. You get to socialize and right. I'd wake up, people would be walking out of class and, and I would be, Oh, okay. It's time for lunch. And I'd, and I'd be heading out and they'd be like, no, no, you, you slept through lunch. And, oh, bummer. <laughs> and and uh, it was just, um, it was rough. I mean, there was even a, there was a couch in the drama department that I would sleep in sometimes because no one was back there. And Never did anyone say, hey, maybe you're not actually suited for this. And of course, there were no options for me. I just, there wasn't any thing I could do about it. And looking back, I I just think how much of my life was ruined by shoving a square peg into a round hole. Do you Mm -hmm. run into that sort of thing with kids? Oh, gosh, I could go, I could get on a soapbox right now about high school start time. It's, it's, completely unfair, not just to you, but to 99% of the teen population. It's, it's a biological circadian rhythm shift that every teenager to some degree goes through. And basically their circadian rhythm shifts three hours down from an adult's. So if I'm feeling sleepy and ready for sleep by like 9.30 or 10, my teens aren't feeling that until midnight. Um, And so they're not even ready, biologically ready to fall asleep until at least the 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock hour. 
And then we're asking them to get up. My kids too, 7.30 start time. We're asking them to get up in the six o'clock hour and go to school. That's like asking an adult to get up at 4 a.m. and start their workday every single day. That's exactly what it's like from a biological standpoint. So it, it's unfair. You know, we're, we're, we're asking them to drive cars, right? We're asking them to operate machinery. We're asking them to make good choices and good decisions and get good grades. And we're asking them to do all of that when they're chronically sleep deprived. Why do you think we do this to ourselves? I don't know. I think, I mean, maybe went back in time. I think originally high school start times were early so that kids could go to work in the afternoon. You know, a lot of a lot of high school age kids helped support the family, right? They they had to go and earn some money. And so if you're done work, if you're done school at 2.30 in the afternoon, you can go to your afternoon job and get some things done. But, you know, most kids don't have to do that now. And then we got on to this, the pushback I always hear is the bus systems, the bus systems, like that's the way the buses run. Well, I feel like if we all sat down and put our heads together, we'd be able to figure out another way in which we could run the buses so that these kids could get the sleep that they need. I mean, it's not, I feel like it's a solvable problem, but we're just stuck in, in, in just the way it's always been. This is the way it's always been. Yeah. Uh, the way it's always been daylight savings time, the way it's always been. It's like, can't we just, uh, uh, or the metric system, you know, like, can't we just change? I mean, we all understand it's a better idea to change. Yeah. 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 It's actually a, a slight miracle. I managed to graduate from high school given I slept. I'm no joke, probably like conservatively 20% of the time I was sleeping during, during my high school years during in class. (laughs) Well, and what's, what's sad is that no one knew. I mean, we still don't like, I know because I'm in the world of sleep, but a lot of people still don't understand that that's a biological change in, in, in the teen circadian rhythm. So I got the same kind of grief. I was like, lazy. My mom's like trying to haul me out of bed at noon and on weekends. And my, if anyone's listening who has teens, let them sleep, let them sleep. If they want to sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon on the week, on the weekends, let it happen. Let it go. Cause they're, they're catching up on all that, depri- de- all the sleep deprivation from the week. Uh, do you have any ideas to why evolutionarily we would have had teenagers stay up later? There's a few theories. Um, I think the one that I like the best is that when you hit that teen age, it it's when you start to separate. It's kind of the end of your childhood. And there's a there's a shift that has to occur in that like breaking away from the parental units. And and if if we as adults are in bed by 10 and teens aren't ready to go to bed until you know midnight or one, there's a bit of freedom mm. in that in that evening space where they can kind of stretch their wings a little bit and, and um, you know, all the adults are asleep and the teens are, are testing what life is like without, without the adults peering down on them every, every minute of the day. And I like that theory. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And by teens, we might even extend that into early twenties, right? Oh, absolutely. Like college start, there should be no, 8 a.m. college classes. Yeah. Nobody's learning at an 8 a.m. class. Yeah, I remember uh, in high school and beyond, 
loving that feeling at like four in the morning when everyone was asleep there, there was something quite uh, freeing about that, but it's made more difficult when my parents were night owls as well. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I had to stay up really late and then I would sleep on the couch in the drama department at the next day of school. I mean, the problem with me is I just should have skipped school, I suppose, and just taken a lower grade, but I was such a goody. I just, I never thought of skipping school. Uh, uh, what kinds of things do you find are more, most frequent for adults? You know, we have a lot of adults listening right now mm-hmm. regarding uh, sleep, things we haven't talked on yet. What, what kind of tips are frequently helpful to people? Well, the biggest one, and this is a hard one for everybody, I get it, but it's that it's screen time. Screen time is the biggest sleep thief that there is out there. Um, You know, keeping on lots of overhead lighting, staring at your devices until, I mean, most people stare at that. That's the last thing they do before they go to bed is they look at their phones, right? For, you know, five minutes to half an hour or longer, they're staring at that thing. And it's just pumping your, your, your eyeballs full of blue light, um, which prevents melatonin from working the way it should. Uh, And so my advice to people is start with an hour and it feels like a lot at first, but you can, you can baby step your way into it, but start with that hour before bed and just make it a no screen zone, you know, do other things, take a bath or a shower, listen to a podcast, um, do some journaling or read a magazine or uh, even read books, good old fashioned books uh, with low lighting. And even if you can swap out your bedside lamp for just a, a yellow bulb, uh, that's going to help that, uh, block out that, that blue light. Um, and just like focus on you and, and getting your mind and your body ready for a proper night of sleep. It makes a huge difference. So is it any light? I, I, I understand the blue light thing because we evolved in an environment when the sun would be setting and there wouldn't be any blue light at that point, right. am, ambient blue light. And it's a signal for a melatonin and all the other processes to say it's time to start thinking about falling asleep. But because I have all those settings on my screens that have the the reddening of, of all the screens, uh, is that uh, sufficient or no. uh, it's not sufficient? So it's like you got to get away from light in general. Yes. I mean, it helps to put on the, you know, nightshade or whatever you've got on your devices. It, it helps, but it's still light. Like you, you can actually, yeah. you know, my, my phone, even when it's on its night setting, it's still really bright. Um, so it, it, it's better to, even if you tried half an hour, you know, if you want to start really small, try a half an hour, but um, yeah, get light, light source in general, like turn off everything that's unnecessary in the house um, and definitely turn off TVs and computers and phones and all that jazz. And you'll, you'll see, you'll have a way better night's sleep. Really? Yeah. Well, that's going to be, yeah. And it's funny because you're like semi-apologizing to people, asking them to feel so bad. I'm like, I know it's your precious, but you got to put it away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is so hard because there's so many interesting things happening on the internet on a constant basis. Like how if, you know, FOMO or something, and, and as you're talking about it, I'm thinking, okay, what would I do? I, I guess I, I mean, I have a lot of books I could read. 
uh, and sleeping often or reading does often put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, it, so maybe it would be reading, but it's funny because when I read, I often want to take notes on things because I'm often reading clinical literature. And so I'd probably go to my phone or something and take some notes. So, um, but yeah, that's going to be hard. Um, maybe that's the, I'm, I'm pretty good with my sleep hygiene and all the other recommendations, but maybe I'm in a bit of a denial on that one. So um, I'll, I'll give that a shot and see if I survive. Well, and I'm not saying if you, if, if, if people listening, if you could stare at your phone and go right to sleep and sleep all night and everything's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm just talking to the people who would complain that they don't sleep well, Right. then you're the kind of person that really does need to, to have a good hard look at what goes on that hour before bed yeah. and start carving out, you know, more structure and routine in that. I mean, it's kind of fun to think, well, gosh, what would I do? I mean, maybe there's a cool hobby you've been dying to try that if you just didn't have that phone attached, you would uh, be interested in exploring. <laughs> Stamp collecting or something. Yeah. Knitting. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing that I often run into beyond what we've already talked about is pets in people's beds. There's this culture, I think particularly in Seattle of, because uh, there's so many pets that people, you know, have their cats and dogs sleeping in the bed with them because the cats and dogs want to sleep in bed with you. And I will say, you know, is your cat or, you know, they'll complain about sleep and I'll say, does your cat or dog ever wake you up? And they, oh yeah, pretty much every night. And I'm like, you need to have some boundaries with those animals. And it, it, I've had cats and dogs uh, my pretty for most of my adult life. And early on, I decided that I, I want them to, I want to fall asleep with them, but I don't want them to wake up. I don't want them to wake me up. So early in my life, I, I had a firm boundary and really taught my animals to not mess with me when I go to bed. Like if you really want to get me upset at you as a pet, it's to bother me when I'm trying to sleep at night. And then, you know, they adjust to it and they learn. Yeah. So nobody should, again, if you're, if you sleep beautifully, you can ignore my advice, but nobody should sleep with their pet. No, 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 definitely not. Pets move around a lot in the night. They, some dogs uh, snore in the night, which can wake people frequently. Um, No, definitely not. And even spouses. I mean, I've, I've counseled a lot of uh, couples that it's called a sleep divorce. It's actually, there's a term. Well, that sounds kind of harsh. You could just call it like a, (laughs) like a, like a uh, sleep vacation or. I know. I don't like that term either, but that's what, that's what we're calling it. Um, But yeah, if you, if you're, if your partner is keeping you awake in the night with snoring or or anything else that they're doing, um, finding a separate space to sleep in, I mean, it's your health, right? And you're going to be in a better mood. You're going to feel better. You're probably going to be a little friendlier during the day if you're sleeping better. So yeah, you have to have a look at who's in bed with you and and you might need to get them out. Yeah, I've looked into a lot of the research on that topic. And the if uh, the general advice I give is really do not believe the cultural notion that there's something wrong with a couple if they're sleeping in separate rooms, even in separate homes. If, if you don't, it's, it's okay if you're married and don't live together, it's okay. And don't, don't believe the hype on that. There is some research showing that if you can manage sleeping together, that it can on average enhance your closeness or even improve your sleep. But I think it's case by case basis, uh, particularly if you're a light sleeper or you have 
someone who snores a lot <laughs> next to you in bed, then, um, you know, and, and your sleep is, is definitely suffering and that sleep suffering is definitely affecting your life. Then absolutely experimenting with sleeping in different rooms and, and not feeling bad about yourself is, is something I absolutely will recommend. Yeah. Agreed. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the, the, sh- the podcast here. Uh, where can people find you? What would you like to plug? Where would you like everyone to go? Yeah, you can find out more about the program at sleepsense.net. And I'm on, you can find me on Instagram under sleepsense. Yeah, I'm everywhere. What kind of services do you offer to people? Uh, well, the program you can buy online and just follow along, or I have sleep consultants that work all over the globe. So if you're looking for one, one-to-one assistance uh, with your children or even your own sleep, uh, we have sleep coaches uh, just about at anywhere in this world that can help you out privately. For people of any age? Yep. All right. Final question, because I'm interested in what you have to say. Most animals sleep and- I find that to be very strange because for most animals, when they're asleep, including us, we're completely unconscious and vulnerable. And uh, and for uh, a lot of span of our species, the entire tribe would be asleep. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not like everyone takes turns and that that just seems like a a recipe for disaster. And it seems strange. And I understand why, because our brain needs to recuperate and, uh, that's a, a huge part of it, if not the reason. And, uh, but I, I find it strange that we didn't evolve some other way to replenish our nervous system without being unconscious. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas as to why sleep has retained through so many species on the planet? I know it's fascinating, isn't it? You're, you're right. We're putting ourselves in complete vulnerability for long stretches of time throughout the night. Um, but for whatever reason, sleep is that important that we're, we're from an evolutionary perspective, we're, we're allowing this, <laughs> we're allowing this uh, vulnerability to exist because of whatever functions sleep um, do for us being so important. But interestingly, you know, if we go back to that, you were talking about night owls and early birds, um, there's, there is some theory behind that, that, that that was evolution's way of trying to minimize the danger. So if we were in a tribe situation, some people go to bed early and wake early. Others in the tribe went to bed late and slept late so that we could cut down a little bit on the number of hours where everybody was asleep at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Sense. So when I was partying late at night in college, it was because evolution was telling me I was supposed to do that. Yeah, Yeah, You were supposed to be protecting the rest of the tribe. I don't know if I was doing that, but (laughs) (laughs) all right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and everyone out there, please take care of yourself and get good sleep because you deserve it. You really, really do. Amen.